Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, ours is a consumption economy. We buy consumables, we buy packaging, equipment, durable goods, building materials, things like that. And then when these items no longer serve their purpose, we throw them out. Ideally, we don't want to recycle everything. Now, household waste streams are mostly recycled. That's pretty good. But electronic equipment is often just thrown in the dump because it's inconvenient to find a way to recycle these items. I don't know about you, but I have an old printer, and i got to wait for a certain week to take it in, and I, it's a pain in the neck to, to take care of it. And the solar industry is another perfect example. The glass, the aluminum, the silicon, and the panels are extremely recyclable, but there's no good way to recycle old solar panels. Now, there's a company called Sur- Surplus Services that specializes in recycling electronic equipment and e-waste. And my guest on this week's show is Lou Ramondetta, president of Surplus Services. Lou's been in the industrial, electronics, and medical equipment industry for over 20 years, with activities all over the world at companies such as Samnia, GE, and Philips Healthcare. So welcome to the show, Lou. Barry, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, that's great. Um, So first, if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about Surplus Services. Yeah, so Surplus Service is a, I don't like to use the word recycling company. We're actually a reuse company. So about 85% of what comes into our facility gets repaired, refurbished, and reused. Rather than recycled, we do everything we can possibly do to try to avoid uh, recycling wherever possible. Not that there's anything wrong with recycling. There's not. Um, It's just that we think that there's a better alternative, which is essentially um, reuse. And we do have clients that we work with who tell us that they want stuff either recycled or destroyed. Obviously, if we're given that direction, we follow that direction. But um, what we try to do is get various types of IT equipment and medical equipment and repair and refurbish it, and then remarket that to the secondary market. So what are those secondary markets? Who's going to want to buy old computers or electronics? So the companies that we're dealing with, we're mostly a B2B company. So we're dealing with mostly industrial companies, IT companies, government facilities, county offices, financial facilities, every type of company that you can think of that produces any type of electronics or medical type waste are the types of companies that we're dealing with as far as sourcing for material. And those are folks who typically have stuff that at some point either is surplus in their manufacturing process or it's stuff that they want to get rid of of at some point in time through their offices, or it's a medical company that has equipment that they've had, and you know, from their perspective, the useful life has ended. Those are the, typically the people that will be getting stuff from, and then the companies that will be selling to, or the organizations that we're selling to, are typically brokers, individuals. We sell on a lot of different internet-type platforms. We also have a lot of brokers that will come into our facility that we'll work with. They're typically buying either in single quantities or in bulk quantities. It might be, for example, a hospital who needs a piece of equipment to be replaced, and the only way they can get that replacement piece of equipment, whether it's a part or something, it might be a detector that goes on a nuclear medicine camera. If you're going to go out and buy the nuclear medicine machine, it's probably going to cost you a few million dollars. But if you're going to buy a simple detector from us that's used, it can go into that piece of equipment and allow that equipment to last for another 10 years. So those are the types of people that we're dealing with. Yeah, and sort of like when I had to get a water pump for my 12-year-old Toyota, um, yeah. I just went onto eBay, and there was like a bunch of companies that yeah. were selling these things, and I shopped around, and I got one, and it's, it's working fine. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people who have cars like you that they want to keep the cars running. They don't want to have to replace it out every you know, a few years. If you go onto the secondary market, there's tons of parts like that that you can get to repair and replace. I mean, in our case, I mean, it's also a lot of clients who aren't necessarily 
the whole U.S. economy is so driven by programmed obsolescence. So we think in terms of a year or two years. If you buy a new computer, if you not buy a new laptop, if you buy a new phone, right away you think, hey, I want to be able to replace that phone as soon as the new iPhone comes out. So as you go from an iPhone, I think they're at 10 now. They go from 10 to 11. There's a whole bunch of people that even though that phone is perfectly good and will work for probably another few years, they decide that they want to get rid of that phone because they want the latest, greatest equipment. So they'll end up getting rid of that phone and replacing it with a new phone. And then we'll take the used phone and we'll wipe the drives, clean it up, and then we'll remarket it to the secondary market. And there's a lot of people who are more than happy to have an iPhone 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, 9. They don't necessarily have yeah. to have the number 11. Yeah, like my kids, when they break their phone, it's like, okay, you had an iPhone 8, you broke it, you want to fix it, you know, buy a used iPhone 6. And that's that works out. exactly what my yeah. kids have. <laughs> They're not too happy about it because they don't necessarily have the latest, greatest yeah. stuff, but they have perfectly good working yeah. phones that do internet and do everything else. It might not say all the talking stuff, but it yeah. does what they need oh, to do. Oh, but dad, you still have the upgrade on this other phone over there. Yeah. It's like, no, you broke your phone. You're going to fix it. Yeah. So does any of this end up overseas? Yeah, we do a fair amount of business overseas. So all of our tests, all of our equipment is functionally tested. We have a number of different grades that will assign to products. It might be functional, fully operational. It might be something that is functional, but there's something wrong with it. Maybe a port or something isn't working on it, and we identify that in whatever enforcement we have. Or it might be something that's being sold as is that isn't functional, but it's going to be used as parts. And in that case, we'll identify it and put it into that category. So there's a number of different categories that we'll remarket stuff on. And a lot of stuff ends up going overseas. It's actually really good to see a lot of the IT equipment and medical equipment go overseas because nothing against the U.S., but we tend to be pretty spoiled here. We have very high expectations for our equipment and our standards. And as I said, there's a lot of countries, whether it be in South America or even in Europe, Eastern Europe, um, Africa, where they're ecstatic to have an iPhone 5, 6, to have some of the medical equipment like an ultrasound equipment. So they're really happy to have that stuff because they're getting it in functional working order at a fraction of that price that they would normally pay. So do you have technicians that when you get lots of this equipment that kind of go through it that understand medical equipment or IT equipment to can figure out whether it's fixable or whether you have to break it up for parts? Yeah, we have geeks. Okay. <laughs> so we love to hire geeks, mostly because since we're not a, a factory per se, we never know what we're getting. So one day we might get a whole bunch of phones from somebody. It might be desktop phones. Another day we might get a bunch of audiovisual equipment. The next day it might be, you know, an MR system. So we never really know what we're getting on a regular basis. So we have to have people who are essentially geeks who like to play with stuff and repair stuff on a regular basis. So they might get in, say, 100 computers. Out of that 100 computers, they might end up harvesting 30 of those to make 70 good working computers. And then those are the ones that we're going to remarket to the secondary market. The other stuff will try to harvest get precious metals out of it and or recycle whatever we can. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect job for me when I was in high school or college, just kind of, you know, the geek fixing this old stuff. Now, when you acquire this stuff, do you pay companies for their old equipment or do they pay you to take it off their hands? So it's a combination of both. It really depends what it is. Some of this stuff, as you can imagine, one man's junk is another man's treasure. But at the same time, 
same time, one man's junk is often another, <laughs> another man's junk. <laughs> so depending on what people have, if it's stuff that has some significant value, then we'll end up paying for it. If it's stuff that doesn't have value, we may end up charging the customer for it. It's a little bit like if you've ever seen the show, what is it, Pawn Stars, where, uh, I don't know if it's Pawn Stars or the Storage Wars, I think it's Storage Wars, where you know, you're buying a container load of stuff, you don't really know what's in it, you think mm-hmm. you th- saw something that's nice, but probably you know 80% of that is going to be junk that doesn't have a lot of value, if any value, and then there might be 10, 20, 1% that makes up the price or the value for what you just paid for whatever that, that locker was that you got. So similar to that. Now, you talk about a term called reverse logistics. How does that work? So reverse logistics is essentially, it mostly is assigned to more the retail type market. So if you think of, of a Fry's Electronics or a Kohl's or any type of retailer, somebody goes out, they buy a pair of shoes, they buy a computer, they buy a server, they buy a phone, get it back home and they realize that, hey, that item that I just bought, for example, I just bought an iPhone 10. I really didn't want the iPhone 10 because that was however amount of money. I think I can get away with buying an iPhone what is it, eight. So then they take it, return it back to the retailer. The retailer, even though it's not huge quantities, they don't really know what to do with a lot of those return goods. So the first thing they try to do is see if they can send them back to the vendor. Oftentimes the vendor is like, hey, you know, I just sold you 10,000 of these items. The last thing I want to do is take back one. So vendors tend to make it very difficult for retailers to return goods to them. So that's when it goes to us. We're a third-party logistics company, and what we do is the reverse logistics around basically bringing that item in, repairing, refurbishing, clean it up, grade it, and then we'll remarket that to the secondary market. But it's a service that essentially we do for a lot of return-type goods. It's typically associated with return-type goods. Yeah. Well, anybody and, that's ever been to Fry's knows when you walk in, you've got that whole returns department over yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of that stuff is returns, but because of the quantity that they're getting, they literally have pallet loads of stuff that ends up getting shipped to companies like us. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of retailers will do. And then what do you mean by zero waste reporting? So zero waste reporting is a big deal for us, and it's, I think, something that really separates us from a lot of our competitors. We're really geared around targeting zero waste for our clients. And one of the big advantages of working with a company like us, that's a reuse company versus a recycling company, is that if a client gives us, say, a 1,000 pounds of IT that they're recycling or or trying to disposition, get rid of, and it goes to us and we end up reusing, say, 85% of that, that means only 850 pounds of that, or actually 15 pounds of that is what they end up, 150 pounds, is what they end up having to qualify or quantify back to the town or the city is actual waste that they're getting rid of. If they were to give that to a recycler or if they were to put that into a into a landfill, all of that would be counting towards disposition of assets and it would go against their zero waste target. So a lot of counties and cities like Santa Clara, San Mateo, Alameda County, they're all targeting zero waste by either 2018, 2020, 2023, 2025, depending on what the county is. And what this allows a facilities manager and or an IT manager to be able to do is be able to say, hey, I just had a 1,000 pounds of stuff. I gave it to this company surplus service, and all of it, let's just say all of it was reused. Essentially, they basically had no waste, which is a big deal for a lot of these IT companies and a lot of these facility managers versus if they give it to a recycler or 
or for that matter, put it into a landfill, it all counts as waste and goes against their That's zero waste targets. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, cool. So you're recycling a lot of IT equipment. You know, the, my, my old computers that I dump, there's hard drives or maybe uh, flash drives or the telephone might have some data on it. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that what is reused is purged of any data that's on there. Yeah, so all of this, not all of it, but a lot of this stuff, especially in today's world, you get phones, you get printers, you get computers that will have data on it. And we have a process that we use where we run everything through a data wipe system. I can't remember the number. It's 800-80R or something is the standard. It used to be that the Department of Defense was the standard. Now this new standard is the uh, accepted standard. It's multiple wipes that basically wipe out all the data. The other option is we can do data destruction where we will either destroy it on our site or we can send a truck out to a customer site. For So, for example, we have some county locations and or companies where we'll send a, a, literally a truck that's a, a shredding machine and or a wiping machine, can do it on site, can be videotaped, it can be witnessed. So for a lot of companies that have very proprietary data or what's called PHI, which is personal health information, all of that stuff is wiped on-site and or can be videotaped or witnessed so that they know that it's actually been wiped. Unfortunately, in our industry, there's a lot of companies who will get, um, whether it's phones or computers in, and they don't bother wiping the data. And you can imagine the security issues associated with something like that. So it's, it's really important that you work with a company that you know is going to actually wipe the data, which is what we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. every password, every user ID is all on those old yeah. systems, and it's on a hard drive, and it's hard to remove that information. And that's why we offer both the on-site as well as off-site service for our clients to be able to do that. All right. So I'm glad you're on the show. And one of the reasons why we hooked up is recycling solar panels. And every week I have a bunch of solar panels that we have to dispose of because they were broken or whatever. And then once in a while, and it's becoming more common, is people are saying, hey, you know, I put in a system 20 years ago. It worked great. My inverter's old. The solar panels are still kind of working, but they're old. And I'm interested in getting a newer high-efficiency system. So we take them off. But we have no place to recycle or reuse those solar panels. So what are some of your thoughts? And this is going to be a huge industry because you just you see more and more solar going in and you know when these come off commercial buildings there's going to be thousands and thousands of panels and, and that's happening in other countries what's your vision and how do you see the solar industry getting into wide-scale recycling of solar panels it is going to be a huge issue we occasionally get calls now for people who are looking to recycle panels but it's not it's very intermittent that we'll get those calls and because it's not IT related it's not really what we do but I know it's a big opportunity opportunity for anybody who wants to recycle into that area. I was recently at a show in, I can't remember if it was Florida or New Orleans, a reuse show, and there was a company that I met over there that was an Italian company that had a really incredible process for recycling panels, and the cost to get into it from a business perspective was not all that significant. So it's something that we're actually seriously considering potentially doing in the future. The market looks like it's going to go that direction, and there's going to be a lot more stuff coming down the road. To, to end up recycling. But right now, there's not a lot of really good alternatives, even though 
what's in a panel is essentially you know glass and there's nothing really you know, there's not a lot of hazardous stuff associated with it so it should be relatively easy to recycle but unfortunately we haven't really made it that way yeah yeah i mean for the you know maybe solar panels had lead solder 20 30 years yeah. ago but everything new is is doesn't have any lead in it. it's basically just silicon plastic glass and aluminum yeah. and when we try and we use a lot of aluminum racking and metallic tubing and we try and recycle all that recycle a copper wire you know little pieces but that adds up but it's just so much work for us to manually break, take, it apart. take the take the yeah. glass out it's just that it doesn't come out easily a friend of mine up in grass valley is thinking about getting into that business also he's a solar old timer but i think it's going to be a pretty good sized business eventually i think in probably the next because there's been a huge influx of people now getting into solar i mean quite frankly us we would have never thought of solar before and we did but i think there's going to be a huge influx of people with solar panels and then another you know 10 20 years down the road people are going to be wanting to replace that so it, it's probably going to be a significant market yeah. in the near future and then you'll see people getting into it because there's going to be much much heavier demand yeah i mean typically you know people start to think about getting a brand new system when they re-roof and, and if it's older so if they've got 15 or 20 year old solar panels on the roof and they got a re-roof it's like okay even economically, in terms of the tax credit, it makes more sense to take the panels off, donate them, get a yeah. tax credit, or recycle them, and then buy a brand new system that's going to be good for another yeah. 30 years. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned the system on your roof. Tell me a little bit about your experience with commercial solar. So I was I was a naysayer. I would have been the last person in the world if I thought I'd be sitting here talking to you about putting solar on my roof. I would have been the last person in the world to have that conversation. Our energy usage at our facility is not real high. So, you know, my cost, you know, expense evaluation was always whether it really justified, you know, putting something like solar up on the building because we didn't have a very high electricity expense. But our company is also very sustainably conscious. We were California's business of the year. We were Actera's most sustainable business. We're a certified B corporation. We're a certified green business. We were nominated by the SBA, Small Business Administration, for being Small Business Person of the Year. So it kind of ties in with what we do. And when I actually started looking at the actual economics, it, it made sense to do it. So we ended up looking at um, the size of our building, what our usage was. And because our usage was low, we also looked at the fact that, you know, what's our usage going to be in the future? And for us, we're probably going to end up getting, we actually just got approved for, I think, a $100,000 grant for some zero emission vehicles, zero emission trucks. So those are probably going to end up getting charged off of electricity. If I was connected to PG&E, my costs would probably go up by a third. But because of the fact that we ended up transitioning to so solar, there's essentially no cost cost for us. So my bill went from not significantly high, but down to literally $19 a month, which is great. We're in the process now of evaluating the battery-operated vehicles. We'll probably put those in. We won't have to pay for those. And then there's some other additional charges or additional energy use things that we're doing that, because of the way I grew up, I'm very conscious about spending. But now with solar, it's like, I don't care. <laughs> People can turn on the lights. They can do whatever. I don't really worry about it. So it's been a real win for us. Plus, last year was a huge benefit for us from the perspective of our overall profitability. I mean, we would have ended up paying significant taxes back at the end of the year. But because of the fact that we got that tax you credit, got tax credit. Yeah, it, it definitely offset a significant amount of tax that we would have paid, which is a big deal for us because I'd much rather get that 
offset of the credit than have to pay out the tax. So yeah. um, that was overall a win-win for us. And, and literally, I think we were thinking it would probably be a like a seven-year payoff at best. And it looks like now it's probably going to be significantly less than that because it's allowed us to put new HVAC units on our building, which are heat exchange units. So they run off of electricity versus gas. So what would have been additional gas charges of PG&E? Now, you know, we have that tied to our solar, so we're paying virtually nothing for that. And the guys can turn up the heat to whatever they want temperature-wise. <laughs> they can turn up the AC to whatever they want temperature-wise. We also ended up putting a reflective roof on our building, which has helped, you know, reflect a lot of the light. And then we changed all of our light bulbs to LED lights, which has also significantly reduced the cost. So right now, we'll actually end up getting a check, a fairly significant check, back from PG&E with, you know, because of what we did. Wow, that's terrific. I didn't expect such enthusiasm. I know that a lot of commercial customers love it, and I would you know, kind of go back to visit our old customers, but it's good to hear that it's a win-win on so many dimensions. You, know, you, you can run your heating and air conditioning as much as you want. You get the tax credit. You've got you know, all these other benefits. Run your new electric vehicles. That, that's pretty cool. I think when you're a small business, you look at this stuff probably more intuitively than a lot of bigger businesses do. So for us, you know, we wanted to do it because it tied in with what we do, but we also wanted to do it because um, we thought that there was some value there. And like I told you, I was a naysayer. So if somebody told me I'd have, given the amount of usage we were doing, I would have solar on my building. I told them, tell them they were nuts. We're actually looking now at putting solar on our home as well, again, for the same reason. So it's, it's I think it's a win-win. Yeah, it makes sense. So how did you originally get into the recycling business, and how can people get in touch with you at Surplus Service? So it's pretty easy to get in touch with us. They can uh, either email us at surplusservice.com. We have a contact us, which is very easy to get to, and I think we've got a good website. And we do a lot of blogs. We probably do a couple of blogs a month that give a lot of details about the industry, what's happening in the industry, not only related to e-waste and recycling, but also related to just you know the commodities industry, the whole, just what's happening overall from a recycling perspective. So there's a lot of good stuff to read and learn about. They can also call us at 510-226-0600, and we're more than happy to help out whoever needs help with regards to any questions related to e-waste, recycling, IT equipment, computer equipment, medical equipment. We're happy to help. What's the website? The website, again, is surplusservice.com. All right, perfect. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Lou, for joining us today. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.